Welcome to Pick Me Up Pod. This is the podcast where we are destigmatizing everything and anything menstrual health, from your period to birth control to pregnancy and abortions. I'm your host, Sophie, and I have a period, and I want to talk about it. What's up, my dear listeners? all menstruators and non-menstruators out there that are listening to this. It's been a long ass week for me. It's just me this week. Um, My guest had to postpone, but that's no biggie. Um, I've committed to doing this every single week. So here's me sitting down. And after having done a little bit of research, um, I'm here to talk about periods. So that's what we're going to do today. I just finished my period, or rather I'm on day six of my period. I've been trying to get back into really tracking everything, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, I've been slacking. Um, I ordered yet another. I swear to God, at this point in my life, I've probably ordered about five or six of these and like probably spent upwards of $200 on basal body thermometers. And I always have good intentions with them. Um, I go about a week measuring my temperature every morning and then I stop. Um, But something weird happened um, as I was trying to input some of my data. Um, There are a couple of apps um, that I use, one of which being Clue. Sorry, excuse me, guys. Um, (laughs) If I'm a little absent-minded, it's because I had a flight super early this morning for which I had to wake up at about 4 a.m. So I'm kind of just barely hanging in there. But I use an app called Clue to track my period. Have been doing so for about the past, oh my God, is it almost eight years? Um, The reason I use Clue, honestly, I really like their UI and UX, but also I actually got to meet the founder of Clue years and years ago, um, back when I lived in Berlin. Uh, it's a German-based company. Um, the founder, she's really, really awesome. Um, her name is Ida. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her last name. Anyway, so I go to track my basal body temperature in the app, and it's no longer an option to track that. And I'm like, what? Like, from what I've learned about managing my own period and tracking the data in order to predict my cycle, basal body temperature has been one of those key metrics uh, that I've always been told to measure. So I go into their website and they have a blog up that's essentially saying something along the lines of it's no longer recommended by many doctors to track your basal body temperature in order to estimate when or when you're not going to be ovulating, which I'm not quite sure. Um, I need to do a little bit more search, but to be honest, like I just put in like a very preliminary Google search and not a lot of stuff came up. Um, So that needs to be investigated because all the fertility tracking books I've read have always um, written about really two key metrics or three key metrics. One being the position of your cervix, the other being your basal body temperature, and the third one, of course, being your cervical fluid. Um, So I've been slacking a little bit on that. And I thought, for the last two cycles that I had basically healed my period problems. Um, so let me rewind a little bit. Probably about three or four months ago, 
I finally decided I like had enough of my period pain and I was going to take active steps to alleviate it. Um, I ended up going on NuvaRing and absolutely hated it. Um, it made me super depressed and not only that, but it also fell out without me knowing. So I ended up going to an OBGYN um, because to be honest, I thought it was like, if you've ever used a NuvaRing, they're pretty big. Like if you go to the bathroom and it falls out or you're doing something and it falls out, like you would know, like you would hear a splash, like you would feel it, you would know if it fell out. Um, I didn't experience that and I genuinely thought it was just like stuck inside of me. So I go to this OBGYN, they end up doing a sonogram, can't find anything. And instead they tell me that I have a massive, massive, or I think two or three massive fibroids on my uterus. And um, the nurse is like, do you have horrible period pains that are really long and like a very heavy flow? And I was like, yep, yep, and yup. Like, why do you think I went on this birth control? And um, I was like, oh my God, like immediately I'm like, what is that? I'm like looking up, um, fibroids are benign tumors. And I'm getting a little bit worried. And she's like, no, like they're very common. Um, probably about 80% of women experience uh, fibroids in their lifetime. Um, and what I could do to manage them is go back on the birth control. And I said, no, ma'am, I'm not doing that. Um, so I had her print me out the, I guess, scan of how, of the size of these fibroids. And I was like, trying to mitigate my symptoms in a holistic way. So I had recently talked about a friend about PCOS and how her going on a low carbohydrate diet has really helped. And obviously I know PCOS and fibroids, that's not the same thing, but I had just for the longest time been eating like a very high carb vegetarian diet, which like is very tasty. Um, but for the last three, four months, I have just gone off like most carbs like I'll still eat like the odd apple or so but mainly my diet has just been a lot of fats um meat fish lots of vegetables pretty clean and pretty healthy I've also completely cut alcohol out which I think was um disturbing a lot of things in my life not just my period and for the last three months my period has been like compared to what it was a year ago, has been just an exquisite experience. I mean, I still have cramping. Um, I was able to just take, you know, like two ibuprofen a day and that I still didn't feel great, but it definitely alleviated it. So come last week, uh, my period's a couple days late and I'm like actually starting to get a little bit worried, um, not for pregnancy reasons. There is no godly way that I could be pregnant right now. Um, if so, like I would be birthing the next Jesus. That is how long it's been since I have had sex. Um, but basically this period just like was the period from hell. Like it came late. It was super painful. It was super heavy. And I just like wasn't expecting it. And it was honestly pretty demotivating because I feel like I've like done the work. I've taken all these holistic steps towards alleviating my cramps. And I feel like I had like reduce the size of these fibroids through healthy eating and like reducing inflammation by not drinking alcohol and lifting weights at the gym and going on these walks and I was like like this is it like I'd also been taking like ice plunges and doing cold showers like I'm doing the works like 2023 I'm coming for you I'm doing the works and 
unfortunately, um, I still had a really painful period. So I actually want to take this episode to talk about a couple of things and also share a really um, incredible talk. Um, I do research about periods probably about every week, whether that's into new products or how I can better manage my symptoms or, I mean, what's out there on the market. I'm just obsessed about the space. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about, first of all, a product that I found. It's called a TENS unit. I had never heard about, about it before. It sends these like electrodes into your pelvic area that apparently trick your brain into not feeling cramps. Um, I need to get some kind of sponsorship because like I need to get sent this for free. Um, apparently if you're in the U S, um, a lot of insurance companies do cover it. Um, I have a super shitty insurance, so I don't know if my insurance is going to cover it, but I'm going to inquire and I will get back to you guys. So I want to talk about that. And secondly, I also want to talk about the fact that I'm super privileged in the fact that I can work from home. I have a remote job or at least partially remote. So when it comes to actually having my menstrual cycle or having my the menstruation part of my menstrual cycle, rather, I want to use the right terminology, I can work from home. That means I can have a heating pad on. I can be laying in super comfy clothes, laying down. It was not always the case. Going to work when you're on your period and like not only do you have horrendous diarrhea, which affects probably about 30% of women who have their period. So you're like running to the bathroom um, every hour, but you also have excruciating cramps and you just feel uncomfortable. And then you have to like sit in an office from nine to six and just like be fine sitting there. Like I think it's so antiquated. And I feel like we are not going to have true equality in any kind of workplace until that is addressed. And I think as women came into the workforce, there were all these systems in place already existed that suited men, like these nine to five, nine to six, whatever. I work nine to six now. I guess time is inflationary too. Um, You know, working these nine to five jobs and basically that's just not really in line with women's rhythms. Um, And I feel like I do so much research into this stuff and I listen to all the TED Talks and the podcasts, but when it comes down to things actually changing, like in workplaces, like being more accommodating for half of its employees, I'm just not seeing it. And I think especially it's it's easy to not think about my period when I'm not on it or I'm not experiencing negative symptoms. But when I am on it and like I'm just coming off, it's like, I'm just reminded of like how far we haven't come in terms of all of this and it is demotivating, but it also gives me a little bit of a push to talk more about it on this podcast. So I wanted to share um, a podcast with Dr. Jen, sorry, not a podcast. Um, It's actually a TED talk. I'm going to link it in the show notes, but I'm going to play segments of it for you here. Um, She talks a lot about what it actually feels like in terms of comparing your period to childbirth for a lot of women to have their periods. Um, She talks about some of the different mythologies that cultures have come about uh, in order to explain periods um, over the course of history. 
And she does an amazing job of explaining the actual bodily mechanics. And so um, I'm just going to share that and offer a little bit of commentary as we go through. And that's going to be this week's episode. It's just a patriarchal society is invested in oppressing women. And at different points in our lives, different things are used. And menstruation is used during what we in medicine call the reproductive years. It's been around since Pretty much the beginning of time, many cultures thought that women could spoil crops or milk or wilt flowers. And then when religion came along, purity myths only made that worse. And medicine wasn't any help. In the 1920s and 30s, there was the idea that women elaborated something called a menotoxin. We could wilt flowers just by walking by. <laughs> And that's what happens when there's no diversity, right? Because there was no woman to put her hand up and go, well, actually, that doesn't happen. And when you can't talk about what's happening to your body, how do you break these myths? Because you don't even need to be a doctor to say that periods aren't toxic. If they were, why would an embryo implant in a toxic swill? And if we all had this secret menotoxin, we could be laying waste to crops and spoiling milk. <laughs> Why would we have not used our ex-woman powers to get the vote sooner? It's funny, this concept of women having some kind of superpower to harm the world around them through their periods actually reminds me of a book called The Power by Naomi Alderman. It's a science fiction novel written by a British author and essentially in this book, women have developed the power to electrocute um, not only men, but other people in society. And it kind of flips the patriarchy on his head. And it's a really good book. If you're into sci-fi, I recommend it. Even now, when I tweet about period diarrhea, as one does, <laughs> I mention that it affects 28% of women. And every single time someone approaches me and says, I thought I was the only one. That's how effective that culture of shame is, that women can't even share their experiences. So I began to think, well, what if everybody knew about periods like a gynecologist? Wouldn't that be great? Then you would all know what I know. You'd know that menstruation is a pretty unique phenomenon among mammals. Most mammals have estrus. Humans, some primates, some bats. The elephant shrew and the spiny mouse menstruate. And with menstruation, what happens is the brain triggers the ovary to start producing an egg. Estrogen is released, and it starts to build up the lining of the uterus, cell upon cell like bricks. And what happens if you build a brick wall too high without mortar? Well, it's unstable. So what happens when you ovulate? You release a hormone called progesterone, which is progestational. It gets the uterus ready. It acts like a mortar, and it holds those bricks together. It also causes some changes to make the lining more hospitable for implantation. If there's no pregnancy, the lining comes out, there's bleeding for the blood vessels, and that's the period. And I always find this point really interesting, because with estrus, the final signaling to get the lining of the uterus ready actually comes from the embryo. But with menstruation, that choice comes from the ovary. It's as if choice is coded into our reproductive tracts. OK, so, so now we know why the blood is there. And it's a pretty significant amount. It's 30 to 90 milliliters of blood, which is one to three ounces. And it can be more, and I know it seems like it's more a lot of the times. <laughs> I know. Uh, so why do we have so much blood? Well, 
And why, why doesn't it just stay there until the next cycle, right? Like, yo, you didn't get pregnant, so why can't it hang around? Well, imagine if each month it got thicker and thicker and thicker, right? Like, imagine what tsunami period that would be. <laughs> we can't reabsorb it because it's too much. And it's too much because we need a thick uterine lining for a very specific reason. Pregnancy exerts a significant biological toll on our bodies. There is maternal mortality, there is the toll of breastfeeding, and there is the toll of raising a child until it is independent. And evolution... <laughs> that goes on longer for some of us than others. <laughs> But evolution knows about risk-benefit ratio. And so evolution wants to maximize the chance of a beneficial outcome. And how do you maximize the chance of a beneficial outcome? You try to get the highest quality embryos. And how do you get the highest quality embryos? You make them work for it. You give them an obstacle course. So over the millennia that we have evolved, it's been a little bit like an arms race in the uterus, the lining getting thicker and thicker and thicker, and the embryo getting more invasive, until we reach this detente with the lining of the uterus that we have. So we have this thick uterine lining, and now it's got to come out. Okay, so I have done years and years of research into the menstrual cycle, and like I understand it's your uterine lining shedding and all this, but the reason as to why we actually have a uterine lining and why it's so thick and how we essentially have evolved to have stronger embryos <laughs> along with the thickness of this uterine lining honestly blew my mind. I feel like more people should know this. And how do you stop bleeding? Well, You stop a nosebleed by pinching it. If you cut your leg, you put pressure on it. We stop bleeding with pressure. When we menstruate, the lining of the uterus releases substances that are made into chemicals called prostaglandins and other inflammatory mediators. And they make the uterus cramp down. They make it squeeze on those blood vessels to stop the bleeding. They might also change blood flow to the uterus and also cause inflammation, and that makes pain worse. And so you say, okay, well, how much pressure is generated? And from studies where some incredible women have volunteered to have pressure catheters put in their uterus that they wear their whole menstrual cycle, God bless them, because we wouldn't have this knowledge without. And it's very important knowledge, because the pressure that's generated in the uterus during menstruation is 120 millimeters of mercury. Well, what's that, you say? Well, it's the amount of pressure that's generated during the second stage of labor when you're pushing. Right. Which, and for those of you who haven't had an unmedicated delivery, um, that's what it's like when the blood pressure cuff is not quite as tight as it was at the beginning, but it's still pretty tight, and you wish it would stop. So that kind of makes it different, right? If you start thinking about the pain of menstruation, we wouldn't say if someone needed to miss school because they were in the second stage of labor and pushing, we wouldn't call them weak. We'd be like, oh my God, you made it that far, right? <laughs> And we wouldn't deny pain control to women who have typical pain of labor, right? I have never heard someone put it as well as Dr. Jen Gunter does in this TED Talk. I love how she takes the actual pain of the pressure that women are feeling when they're on their periods and comparing it to something that actually expresses its magnitude. Like, I swear when I'm on my period, it like feels like It feels like a truck is inside of my body and just like rolling over my organs. And as women going out into the world, not only are we taught through shame to not talk about our periods, 
But we also ourselves like downplay and don't take it seriously. Like I have really, really painful periods. And I know there's people that have more painful periods than me, but like, this is what it feels like. And you're expecting me to sit in work meetings? Like, I can't, I can't. Okay, I'm gonna let her finish this. So it's important for us to call this pain typical instead of normal, because when we say it's normal, it's easier to dismiss, as opposed to saying it's typical and we should address it. And we do have some ways to address menstrual pain. One way is with something called a TENS unit, which you can wear under your clothes, and it sends an electrical impulse to the nerves and muscles, and no one really knows how it works, but we think it might be the gate theory of pain, which is counter-irritation. It's the same reason why if you hurt yourself, you rub it. Vibration travels faster to your brain than pain does. I have never in my life of researching menstrual products ever come across a TENS unit, um, I've just looked into a bunch of different products. Um, I am probably going to reach out to a couple of companies and see if my insurance covers any of them, but I'm going to try this out and I'm going to give you guys the down low, the DL, on whether or not this works because if I can figure out a way to stop having to take ibuprofen or like NSAIDs in general, which are like really stressful for the, stressful for the body and bad for your liver, like my life would change. We also have medications called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, and what they do is they block the release of prostaglandins. They can reduce menstrual pain for 80% of women. They also reduce the volume of blood by 30 to 40%, and they can help with period diarrhea. And we also have hormonal contraception, which gives us a thinner lining of the uterus, so there's less prostaglandins produced, and with less blood, there's less need for cramping. Now, if those treatments fail you, and it's important to use that word choice, because we never fail the treatment, the treatment fails us. If that treatment fails you, you could be amongst the people who have a resistance to non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. We don't quite understand, but there are some complex mechanisms why those medications just don't work for some women. It's also possible that you could have another reason for painful periods. You could have a condition called endometriosis, where the lining of the uterus is growing in the pelvic cavity, causing inflammation and scar tissue and adhesions. And there may be other mechanisms we don't quite understand yet, because it's a possibility that pain thresholds could be different due to very complex biological mechanisms. But we're only going to find that out by talking about it. It shouldn't be an act of feminism to know how your body works. It shouldn't... It shouldn't be an act of feminism to ask for help when you're suffering. The era of menstrual taboos is over. The only curse here is the ability to convince half the population that the very biological machinery that perpetuates the species that gives everything that we have is somehow dirty or toxic, and I'm not going to stand for it. And the way we break that curse, it's knowledge. Thank you. No, thank you, Dr. Jen Gunter. Honestly, that was one of my favorite TED Talks I've ever listened to about periods. And in me playing her TED Talk on this podcast, I'm 
manifesting her to come on the pod and answer some of the questions that not only I have, but I'm sure many of you have. But thank you guys for listening. I will get back to you hopefully in the next couple of weeks and um, try out some of the products, the TENS unit that was mentioned here. And I mean, it's unlikely, but I am just like, would fall to my knees if this was the end all cure all for my um, period cramps. But anyways, have an awesome week, you guys. And bye.